And it's really funny what you just said, because that to me is the key, is that you have to be comfortable looking foolish in the short run to really succeed in the long run in almost everything. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Hey, business owners. At Scalable, we know there are three key steps to getting your team clear on where they are in relation to your company's goals. The first step is to identify three to five metrics that tell the clearest story on how this team is helping the company hit its growth goals. The second step is to create clear targets so your team can declare in advance what winning looks like. And the third step is to measure these targets on a weekly basis. When your team is forced to interact with the numbers themselves, they begin to truly know their numbers. If you want to see how we track our numbers here at Scalable, you can get a free template at businesslunchpodcast.com slash dashboard. That's businesslunchpodcast.com slash dashboard. Hey, everybody. You've got Ryan Dyson, Roland Frazier here with the Business Lunch Podcast today. We were thinking we would talk a little bit about advice and in particular, maybe advice that like sounds good or is well-intentioned, but that isn't perhaps the best. So Ryan, what do you think about that? Do you have any, uh, any things that we got, we got a word for this. Yeah. We got, they're called logical lies. Logical lies. I like it. I like it. Tell us more about that. Advice. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it's advice and suggestions that on the outs, you know, from the outside looking in, it sounds so smart. It's accepted as kind of just, yeah, this is obviously something that, that everybody knows to be true. And so we accept it offhand and maybe it isn't always true, or maybe it's frequently, you know, untrue. So the, the conversation that we were having before was just the, the oft given, especially at like college graduations and things like that, which is to follow your passion. Right. And anytime I hear something where it's like, always do this, it's like, really, always? That was like the sign when I took a test in school that, like, you know, anytime is always like, you know, that one's not it. And so always follow your passion is something that, that we were talking about, something that comes up a lot. It's seductive, though. Yeah. It sounds right. But right. Because, yeah. you know, hey, you, do you want to work in a job that you hate? You know, and you want to be in a business that, that you're not passionate about? So, what, what is your take on that? Why is it good or not good advice? Yeah, well, I, I think the the reason that it's that it's a logical like with all of this, you know, advice that sounds good but isn't or logical lies, it's because there's there's always an aspect of it. <laughs> there I go using the A word again. There's generally, typically, almost always an aspect that is true. You still you know, it could be seventy five, eighty percent true. And I think in this case, there does need to be something if you're going to start a business that you are passionate about. But a lot of times we say that we need to be passionate about the product or service that we're delivering. Right. And I think there's lots of things you can be passionate about. Right. So you can be passionate about the market that you're serving. I just really want to say, and that's what comes up a lot. Like, you know, I really want to serve this market. I'm passionate about serving this market. You can be passionate about the particular product or service that you've made, but you can also be passionate just about the process itself. You know, so lots of people, I think you and I included, we love business in all its forms. And we're passionate about, you know, about business. And so we can go and start a company that we're not necessarily passionate about the product 
you know, or the, you know, the, the, the mission behind it or the customers or anything like that, but we love the business and the puzzle behind it. Now, what I would say is there should be somebody hanging around who is passionate about the product and the customer and can be that voice. But this idea that you should always go into a business that you're passionate about, my thing of you, what do we mean by that? When we say passionate, you know, what do we mean? So that's, I, I've been in plenty of businesses successfully that I was not passionate at all, at all about, you know, the products. I believed in them. I thought they were good, but it's not like I was an enthusiast. What about you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that it is, it is nice if you can be passionate about the thing that you are doing that makes you money. But it is absolutely horrible advice to have your passion dictate the business without first saying, what is the likelihood that this pursuit of my passion will result in me attaining the goals that I've set for myself financially, professionally, fulfillment wise, or, or, or because it only goes to fulfillment. It's a bit indulgent, right? So I think like, I love creating music. I love to perform, um, you know, out in bands as I did for years and years and years, but I also am very passionate about being able to eat, being able to, you know, have some wealth, making the thing that I eat not be dog food. Those are all things that are, <laughs> you know, equally equal passions for me. And so what what I think that you can do is you can say, I think that a good filter is, will, if I pursue my passion in the form of a job or business, will it be able to meet my desires that are outside of just wanting to pursue that passion? Because for me, it was, well, I love music and performing, but, and maybe I could have been an amazing songwriter and, you know, quite crazy successful, or maybe not, I don't know, but I played the odds and said, I can do that as a hobby. Like, why not have something that you do? If you hate it, don't do it. But I don't think you necessarily have to be passionate about. And like you said, I'm passionate about deals. I'm passionate about business. Find the thing that is not maybe subject matter specific, that is maybe process specific or, or something like that, or that overlays on top of, you know, a passion that overlays on top of maybe a otherwise boring thing that you wouldn't be that excited about, that then you can get excited about the process, even though you're not excited about the thing. But I think that initial filter of, you know, can I do this thing? And also like, I love collecting, I don't know, I don't, but I love collecting butterflies. You know, what are the chances that that's going to lead to me being able to do what I want with my life? And so I think that's a, that's an important filter. You said something I think is really important. Maybe it should just pick something that enables your passion. Yes. Right. You know, Absolutely. And, and, and here's where I think it's really dangerous is this advice is given to young people who have no idea what they're passionate about. And it's going to freaking change in two weeks. Right. And so yeah. sometimes there's something to be said for what maybe what you should do is go out there and, you know, work in something that is going to, you know, give you the most options, which optionality, let's be honest, comes down to money. Like if I've got money, I've got more options, not always, but often. And maybe I should optimize for that while I'm figuring out what I'm passionate about. Instead, what you have, this advice is given to people. And, you know, you got folks who have leaving college with $200,000 in student loan debt who are now going to say, well, I'm really passionate about, you know, hunger. So I want to go work at a nonprofit. And now they're the ones that are starving to death. Right. So I just think it's really, really dangerous. And, and like you said, it can be a bit immature and, and, almost selfish. Like I'm going to pursue this, 
even though it doesn't, you know, it's it, it's singularly focused. It doesn't enable anything else, and I'm going to suffer in life. So, yeah, that is not great advice. Okay, how about you should get a job because it provides security. I think it is good advice if somebody doesn't have any other options. I think it's bad advice to say to an entrepreneur to discourage them from starting their own business. Because in my experience, I have always performed better betting on myself than, you know, I mean, I've known plenty of people who were fired from jobs or got laid off. And so this idea that there's more security here versus there. So where it is often given, again, logical lie. Is it true in the abstract? Of course. Having a job provides more security than living under a bridge. But having a job versus having a side hustle while you're also, you know, or a couple of side hustles while you're starting your business. And now I've got a little bit more diversity in where it's coming from. I don't know. That seems more secure too. So I think you just got to be careful with the generalization. Yeah, I think, I mean, to me, it's it's always been kind of a, a fallacy because, and, and it, it, I get it because it's like, well, then you can depend on a paycheck, except that maybe that was true a thousand years ago in the, you know, pre-depression, I guess. Maybe, I don't know, but, yeah, but maybe never true. it's been true because you can't count on a paycheck. You have literally got one client known as your employer and that one customer at any time can fire you and then you have nothing and you have no security of unemployment insurance, I guess, maybe depending on where you live, but like you're 100 percent dependent on someone else's success and their mood and their ability to run a company correctly. Whereas if you have even in your, in, in the gig economy and you've got 10 different people that you're working for and they're equal, then any one of them can let you go and you've only lost 10% of your income. So to me, it's just like it, that, that just never that argument never made any sense at all to me, but, but I do think that it, it is appealing to think, you know, why risk going out on your own where you could fail, where most businesses aren't successful and, you know, and have a job. But I think that job, even actually, especially now because of having the ability with all of the upworks and other things like that that are out there, it just seems to me like you're crazy to, to like, to be held back from what you want to do because, of that security thing. Yeah. You know I, and I think I mean? the inverse, by the way, is also untrue. I've known a lot of entrepreneurs who like people ask me all the time, Hey, how do you raise, you know, how are you going to make sure that your kids become entrepreneurs? Like as though having a job is bad. Right. And it's like, I don't know right. that I can make sure they become, but I don't know they want to. Right. And so I've, I've seen the pendulum swing so far the other way with, with the entrepreneurial community that, that it's almost as though, you know, you know, oh, having a job is bad, just over broke. And also it's like, nah, I know plenty of people who have really great jobs and tremendous freedom. And back to our previous thing, it enables their passions and they're happy as a lark. So yeah, neither of those are true. I got one for you. Can I ask you one? Yeah. Uh, you should always diversify your investments. <laughs> yeah. It, I guess it depends on the definition of, inver- of, of diversify, right? Should you have all of your eggs in any one basket, I think that's that's pretty risky because stuff can happen. So I think it's a good idea to be diversified, even if it's within the single thing that you've got. Look at a company like Amazon or Google. I mean, they they own and have acquired so many companies that are outside of their primary thing, but that do help their primary thing 
that you could easily argue that they're diversified, but you could easily argue that they're not because their primary thing is search, for example, or Amazon's primary thing is, I guess, selling everything online. Because I, I was going to come along those lines and say, I think that if you're thinking about categories, there may be categories where you say, I'm, I'm going to be primarily invested in this category. Always, you know, it's hard to say you should always diversify your investments, but, but I don't think it's a bad idea. I do think that it's good to be, to have counter cyclical things. So like if you're in the restaurant business and you work as a server and you want to open a restaurant and you're doing, you're picking up, um, parties to serve when a pandemic hits, you're screwed. (laughs) Like there's no, there's no diversification in your, in your portfolio of things that you're doing. So I do think it's good to be counter cyclically focused, but tell me what diversification is a luxury that, that people should pursue. But I think you get to diversify after you've largely gone all in on one thing and it's created the margin and the overflow to now begin to invest in other things. And so a mistake that I see a lot of people making who are younger and who frankly just don't have that much freaking money is they'll go and they'll put like, I'm going to put 10,000, you know, in this index fund. I'm going to put 10,000, you know, in, in this crypto thing and put some money over here and put some money over and do this thing over here. And they're so spread out and they're so diversified that if any one of them wins, it doesn't win enough to materially change their life. And that yet they're losing a little bit over here. And the idea of diversity is really downside protection. Well, the good news, if you got nothing, Mm -hmm. you can't go much lower. And so I think if you don't have much, then you should absolutely just go all in. Literally, what do you have to lose? Might as well just go nuts and see if it and see if it works, because then you at least have a shot of building something big. So I think it's one of those things that is likely good advice to people with uh, with surplus. Uh, I think it's maybe not great advice. I, I, I like that. Um, I like that, I, that idea. I, what I was going to ask, what I was going to say to you was the, you've got to be invested in stocks and the equally dogmatic, you've got to be invested in real estate because that's where all great wealth has come from. What do you think about those bits of advice? Well, the, yeah, I mean the real estate one and look at uh, real estate is, it, you know, is great. Uh, you and I are not big real estate investors. I think it's, I think we've both done well on personal homes and little things, but we're not, I, I certainly wouldn't define myself as a real estate investor. Would you? No, not, not currently. I have been, but not, not now. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and, and again, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but so much of the, like, this is where all of this wealth has been created. It's like, well, okay. I mean, it's also kind of been around since humans crawled into a cave, right? So it's had some time to build up as an industry. You know, lots of wealth has been created in, you know, entrepreneurship and building business too, businesses too, last I checked. So, so yeah, I mean, this idea that, that if you're going to buy stocks, the idea of buying individual stocks scares the crap out of me because I've got to know more about that business than people who it's their job to know everything about that business. And, and I can't influence it. That scares, that, that scares me to no end. And so I don't believe that you have to own you know, public stocks to, to get rich. We've known plenty of people who have done that and don't. And, and similarly with real estate, I think it has to do with where your time and effort and energies go. That's what's going to largely grow. And so I think you're best to, to keep that focused for a while, at least on, you know, if you're a business owner on your own business, if you're an investor on the investments that you know the best, but to say that, to, to have this sense that, oh, I need to diversify into these other asset classes 
I think you get to do that once you have surplus. But this thing that like, I need to, or I'm going to lose money. Usually, again, this, this is about downside protection. You're not going to necessarily make more money if you do that. You're going to potentially spread out your, your losses a bit more. So I don't think you need to always. Yeah. Let's take a break and then we will be right back. Hey, Business Touch listeners, we're going to get right back to the show. But Roland wanted me to invite you to a brand new training that he's doing on acquiring businesses with no money out of pocket. It's something that he's talked quite a bit about on the show, but he's doing a free training where he's going to walk through the entire process. So if you want to get access to that, go to businesslunchpodcast.com slash epic. That's businesslunchpodcast.com slash epic, and you can get signed up. Okay, so uh, so on the diversification thing, we we kind of we we talked about different things, and and I'm I agree with you 100. I think that I and you know we're designing model portfolios now for our entrepreneurial investing folks because you and I are primarily entrepreneurial investors. We are invested in many businesses which are very diverse, but not in a lot of things outside of those. I'm you've got some cash that you put in stocks. I've got some cash that I've kept in cash, and um, mostly we invest in businesses, right? We've got like, you know, real estate in the form of personal residence, which turns out to be great. But but really the big thing is the businesses that we invest in and we're in good company. You've got, that's primarily what Buffett does, right? It's, you don't, you don't have Buffett out there flipping houses. You've got him and buying companies. So the companies ideally have some diversification. You wouldn't want, I think, to buy all restaurants, for example, just to pick on the restaurant industry. But, but I think that it is good to, to, to go with what you're, you know, where you can get the greatest return. Cause I know that you and I are not going to get anything near the returns that we can get on the businesses that we acquire and invest in, in the stock market or in real estate or in crypto, you know, it's just not going to happen. So we're, we're happen to be very good at the business thing. And, and that's, that's where we go. So, so then another one would be never keep a large amount of money in cash. You should definitely always have your money earning you money in the stock market or something like that, as opposed to cash. I mean, that's right. If, if the only way you make decisions is with the spreadsheet, then, then yes, you can definitely make an argument that keeping money in cash is stupid because it's all, all it, all the spreadsheet is going to say is, well, this is how much your, your money is making now. This is how much you're losing, especially in a high inflationary environment like we have right now, which by the way, only affects stuff if you spend your money, right? If you spend your cash. I mean, this idea that like, you know, oh, if you've got, you know, if you've got a million dollars in the bank and, you know, inflation, you know, is now at 8%, like, you know, you just lost whatever, 80 grand or like, no, you didn't. There's literally somebody came into the bank and took $80,000 yeah, of your money like, out. No, no, that didn't happen. They, they didn't. It's, it's fine. Like it's, it's definitely still there. I'm not spending it right now on more expensive things. And, and when I do spend it, I will not spend it. I will invest it. And I will invest it in something that, guess what, is appreciating at considerably faster than the rate of inflation, right? Because nobody's out there trying to beat inflation or even, you know, hit the beta on the, on the market, right? So at least we're not with that money. So no, I, I think the inverse is true. I think by and large, again, once you have your, your, your basics covered, once you have a, an emergency fund to protect some downside for a rainy day, so you're not having to sell your house or your car, or your kids, if you know, something does go sideways, then, then yeah, you, you should definitely build up a solid opportunity fund, which is how we think about our cash. Um, it could be sitting in a money market, but, but yeah, I mean, it should be 
super duper liquid. I know, I know there are some people who say, don't do that. Go just put it in an investment because then you can go and take a loan out against that investment. And that's the same as cash. It's actually not that's debt. Um, and there is additional risk there. And so (laughs) there is absolutely additional risk when you take this piece, especially if what it's invested in can, I mean, if it's stocks, they can go down. They, they don't go to zero often, but they can. There's all these people that put their money in perfectly, you know, quote unquote, safe, you know, crypto funds and then took loans out against those crypto funds. Now their funds have gone to zero and they still have the debt and they don't have anything to pay it back. And guess what? When it went to zero, sounds it was cold because like there's the, nothing uh, to secure it anymore because they didn't have any money because it freaking went to zero. So, I, you know, I don't like that. I don't like that plan at all. I know people who play that game. And it works except when it doesn't. And so, yeah, I would much rather look like an idiot by having, quote unquote, too much cash. Most of the wealthy people we know are sitting on lots of cash. Yeah. And it's really funny that you, what you just said, because that, that to me is the key, is that you have to be comfortable looking foolish in the short run to really succeed in the long run in almost everything. And in the short run, it looked like Bezos was nuts trying to sell books online when you could just go down to the bookstore and buy them and it costs so much to ship them and he was losing money, but he had a longer vision than that. And I think that's, that's it is like, if you had no plan, if you were, I'm just going to always get cash because you might as well just bury it in the backyard, you know, or stuff it in the mattress because I just want to protect my cash. That doesn't make a lot of financial sense. It might solve other emotional things for you, but it's, it's not that alone is not a smart decision, but to sit on a bunch of cash right now, thinking that it's likely that we are in, we had two quarters of retraction in the GDP that that typically is defined as the entry to into a recession, that things are probably going to get worse and maybe be more bearish, even though we now have had also a 50% lift from the lowest point of the stock index to this point, which has never led to a recession after that, which is interesting. So you have all this completely conflicting data. But to me, the danger of sitting on too much cash right now is very minimal. If we're wrong, we're going to take a short-term hit in the values of what the actual dollars, which are not going away, they are still there, as you mentioned, will buy. But that's likely to recover as inflation comes under control. And the opportunity then to come in and buy some business or stock or something at 50% off because it's panic time, like that's huge. And to me, that makes a whole lot of sense. So it's, it's like, it's okay to be thought a fool in the short run. If you've got a long run vision, a long-term vision, and, and then that's true across almost everything. Right. So I think that's kind of an interesting bit of thought. Yeah. And, and look, if you are sitting on cash or if, if I just, I just, I am pro cash. I want people to feel like it's okay to sit on cash. And I just hate this argument of inflation. Yes. If you were to take all of your cash and buy, like if you have, if you're sitting on a million dollars in cash and you decide to buy a million dollars in milk, you know, this month versus like six months ago, then your million dollars would have been worth less. That is accurate. So don't buy a million dollars worth of milk today. Either wait for milk to come back down or buy a business that you expect to, I don't know, 10x over the next three years. 
and you don't freaking worry how much milk went up. Right. And that's it. I think it's, it's, what are you going to be investing in? What's your return and what is your, you know, what, what's, what's the horizon. So those are just some, some things that like I, anything else you can think of us off the top that, that is advice that you hear out there that you think is, uh, is just kind of questionable. No, I mean, those are the ones that, you know, we had talked to those are the ones that had popped into our heads. I think it's just anytime something you've heard it a lot, um, just to be careful about accepting things that, that seem true and that you've heard about nodding your your head and saying, yeah, obviously, because, you know, most advice is absolutely correct for most people. But if you're listening to this show, that yeah. likely means it's not correct for you. Because if you're listening to the show and you're an entrepreneur and you're an extraordinary individual, then that means that a lot of the stuff just doesn't apply in the same way to you as it does to other people. So have a crit- you know, think critically about these things and understand that very often advice that's true for the masses, it, the inverse is going to be true for you if you're an extraordinary person. So, and by, when I say extraordinary, that all I'm simply meaning is extraordinary. I like that. Right. You're just a little better than ordinary. And when right. or, the, the bar for ordinary is so freaking low that it really isn't that hard to be extra. And, and I, again, I just say, if you're listening to this right now, you're in that camp. So take a critical eye to all of the logical lies out there. I like it. All right. That is the end of our show today. Thank you guys for listening. And if you find that you've got somebody that is giving you this crazy advice, then you now have defense. You can refer them and share this program and say, check this out because these guys are doing okay. And they're saying things that are the exact opposite of what you're saying. Or if you need a little support, we're in your corner here, share the podcast. Or if you find anybody that you would like to share some wisdom with about just kind of taking a deeper look, we might be right, we might be wrong, but it's good to be thinking all the time. And I think this is a good way to do that. So share the podcast. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. What if three days could change the course of your business in 2023? Get Scalable Live is where you'll gain great clarity on the next steps that will help you create the business, life, and wealth you deserve. Connect with business owners and entrepreneurs just like you, hungry for advice, proven strategies, and necessary connections to grow a business. Literally, million-dollar conversations are happening in the hallways, in the bathrooms, across tables. Get Scalable Live at Fairmont Austin, November 2nd through 4th. Tickets are on sale now at GetScalableLive.com.